0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cold Case Chase. This week, we're switching up styles a little bit to cover the riddle of Room 1046. With me today, I have Shane of Case Closed to sit here and listen while I tell the tale of Roland T. Owen. You ready, Shane? I'm ready. I'm excited to be here. All right. I'm pretty excited to do this, too. This is a different feel for the episode, but you know what? We're going to go ahead
1: yeah, when you messaged me about it, I was a little like, oh, "What's? What are we gonna be doing?" All right, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I am too.
0: Let's hope this goes over well. <laughs>
1: yes, I have. Uh, I, I know the case that he, he told me what the case was, but I, we haven't like gone over anything, so this is gonna be kind of interesting for me.
0: All right, let's dive right in. Let's do it. A new year had just began in Kansas City. It was January 2nd, 1935, and a little after 1 p.m., a man calling himself Roland T. Owen would walk into the hotel president and ask for a room. Mr. Owen would be a man of heavier stature and have some key notable features including a scar on his head and a cauliflower ear. The man was checked into room 1046, and assisted to his room by bellboy Randolph Probst, who noticed that Roland Owen did not pack much besides a brush and a comb. However, this was not the only strange habit that Owen had. The maid, Mary Soapdick, (laughs) would be... (laughs) I didn't say anything.
1: (laughs) I'm still stuck on Roland Owen. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. Let's try that one more time. The maid, Mary Soapdick, would be allowed to clean his room, but was asked to keep the lights off and to keep the door unlocked because Mr. Owen was expecting someone. Keep the lights off while she's cleaning? Yeah, keep the lights off while she's cleaning. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. How, does she... Right. <laughs> <laughs> how, how does she clean anything? That's my question. Yeah, it's like, not going to look good, I promise. I can barely, I can, yeah, I can barely (laughs) clean with the lights on. Yeah. How does she do it with the lights off? I don't even know, man. In a later interview with Soapdick, she said the following. He was either worried about something or he was afraid. He always kind of wanted to just keep in the dark. Later that day, Soapdick would return to the room with new towels, where she found the door unlocked. When she entered the room, She found Owen laying on the bed, dressed in a nice suit, with a note on the nightstand next to him, that read, Don, I will be back in 15 minutes. Wait. The next morning, Soapdick went back to the room and saw that it was locked from the outside. Strangely enough, Owen was on the inside of the room in the dark, which means that he did not lock the door someone else did. Mary Soapdick went around her business cleaning the room in the dark while Owen answered a phone call. While Owen was on the call, Soapdick recalls that he said, No, I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry. I just had breakfast. No, I'm not hungry. After this, he began asking the maid questions about her role in the hotel. What she did and what rooms she was in charge of cleaning. This unnerved the maid, and she left shortly after. Later that day, at roughly 4 p.m., Soapdick went back to the room once again to deliver fresh towels to Mr. Owen. But before she opened the door, she heard two men talking in the room. She knocked on the door and got a response that was not Mr. Owen, who said, Who is it? She would say that she came with fresh towels, and the voice responded back once again in a deep, gruff voice. We don't need any. Later in the evening, a woman in room 1048 began complaining of a loud conversation coming from around her room. She claimed to have heard both male and female voices talking loudly, and what seemed like arguing coming from room 1046. It should be noted that there was a small party going on that night in room 1055. So, real quick, I want to stop here just to ask the question, what, what hotel has rooms that lock from the outside?
1: Yeah, I was wondering that same thing. Like, uh, what's the purpose of that?
0: I, I don't know. <laughs> like, what, what would happen if somebody locked you inside your room? Do you just, like, call the front desk? <laughs> yeah,
1: those prankster kids, they got me again. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly it, because then you've got unauthorized people, like, going down the hall and just locking everybody in their rooms. Like, yeah, it's weird. And I'll, yeah, I just feel the anxiety for this maid going to this room, because it's been so weird for her the entire time. And I just, like, oh my picture goodness, her, yes. like, going up to the door and, like, taking a deep breath before she, like, knocks on the door again, like... <laughs> Alright, I gotta go into this room again. Because it just seems... So, this whole thing just seems
0: bizarre. In that last encounter that she had at the door where... Um, the guy says... Uh, we don't need any towels. I heard one report. I can't I can't verify it because it was only one report. That she just shrugged her shoulders and left. <laughs> Which is hilarious to me. Just like... Right. Eh. Okay. I've worked, I've worked, I, I haven't worked made jobs, but I've worked jobs where there's, there's weird people and you yeah. don't want to deal with those weird people. And I feel <laughs> like this Owen guy is one of those weird people that nobody wants to deal with already. <laughs> so everybody's just like, ooh. Yeah. They're like playing rock, paper, scissors, shoot to see who has <laughs> right. to go up. And, and Mar- Mary Soapdick is just like, ah, I keep losing. <laughs>
1: Dang it. You take on talent today. I barked my shin on the bedpost last time I was cleaning in there.
0: Couldn't see <laughs> anything. I had to pick up invisible stuff for like 10 minutes to make <laughs> him believe I was cleaning. Like <clears throat> can you she like
1: like Imagine like walking into a room that's dark, like groping around the room to clean it. I mean, I guess it could be like daylight coming through the blinds or I don't know, but just imagine like Thinking you did a good job, way, and then like, like trying to vacuum, and then like sucking up some dude's shirt with your vacuum, and oh. like having to deal with that in the dark as well. It's
0: just so. Well, weird. from the from the reports too, this guy barely had anything. That's true. Like, that's true. His, he uh, had like a comb, a toothbrush, and toothpaste, is what I heard. So that's that's like even crazier. It's like, right? Oh, what are you doing here, man? Yeah. But we continue. The next morning at 7 a.m., the hotel's phone operator noticed that the phone in room 1046 had been off the hook for a while. So, she sent Randolph Probst to go tend to the matter and see that the phone got hung up. When Probes knocked on the door, he heard a low voice on the other side say, Come in. Turn on the lights. However, Probes could not get in because the door was locked. After continuing to knock for about five minutes, he yelled through the door.
1: Hey, hang up the phone.
0: And then he left. About an hour later, another bellboy went up to room 1046 to get Owen to hang up. Harold Pike knocked on the door, but there was no answer. So he let himself in. He kept the lights off, but the hallway light was just bright enough that he could see Owen on the bed naked with dark stains around him. And he also noticed the phone stand was kicked over, and he assumed that Owen had kicked it in his sleep. So he put the phone back on the receiver and left. Around 10.45, a different telephone operator noticed that the phone had been kicked over again. So they sent Randolph Probst once again to go handle the situation. When Probst arrived at the room, he let himself in, and what he saw, he would never forget. Owen, who was still naked and two feet away from the door, was crouched on the floor, holding his bloody head in his hands. Oh my god. When Probst... Yeah. (laughs) Could you imagine, like, you... (laughs) Not what I was expecting. (laughs) Exactly. Could you imagine just opening a door and seeing, like... Basically, a dead man right in front of a door, and holding his like, own head too. Exa- exactly. Like I have a, I, I have an odd fear of somebody like just standing outside of my window sometimes. Yeah. So imagine opening a door and just seeing like a dead dude. Just yeah. like that would freak me
1: out. <laughs> I was anticipating like him being strangled with the phone cord, and that's why it was off or something. But no, just crouched, holding his own head, two feet from the door.
0: Yep. <laughs> Well, well let's, let's, let's paint a picture of the rest of the scene real quick. All right, let's do. When Propes turned on the light, he saw blood covering the walls and all over the bathroom. The frightened bellboy rushed out and told the assistant manager, who called the police. Owen had been tied up. He still had cords around his wrists, ankles, and his neck. It almost looked like he had been tortured, He had been stabbed roughly 17 times, and had a fractured skull from repeated hits. He also was strangled, which was discerned from the bruises around his neck. Somehow, he was still alive. When asked who did this, or what had happened to him, he simply replied, I fell against the bathtub. Yep, you heard that right! (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) He fell- he fell against the So okay, so he this wasn't man... dead.
1: he was okay. Okay. When you said holding <laughs> his head in his hands, I was like picturing a decapitated dude like position. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> position so his head is
0: like being held in his hands. Okay. No, I'm more I was more uh when when I first heard it, I thought that as well. But it's more like uh like when you cry, you hold oh, your right. head in your okay. hands like yes. that. It's like that. It's like that. Yes.
1: Okay, I get it now. I was I was picturing something crazier. Okay.
0: All right. Anyway. Yeah. But do, do, you, do you like his excuse yes. <laughs> for why there's blood literally above the bed everywhere? I fell. <laughs> He's been stabbed basically almost 20 times. Head wound, clearly been strangled, cords around his neck and his ankles and his wrists. I fell on him, my head on the bathtub.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oops, I fell over again.
0: Oh no! I fell and the cords wrapped themselves around me.
1: I fell on a knife and then I tried to get up and then I fell on the knife again. And then I tried to get up and I I fell on the knife again. And then I got up and then I fell on the knife again. And I was
0: like, oh boy, my laugh's just a cartoon! Yes, I better
1: tie my hands up so I don't fall on any more knives.
0: He would be taken to the hospital and it was figured out that the injuries that had been sustained were from the night previous. That means that both bellboys had been in the room with a dying man. Later, on January 5th, Owen would die at the hospital. Investigators were quickly realizing that this was no ordinary crime. LAPD found no record of any Roland T. Owen, which led to the assumption that he had checked in using a fake name. An anonymous woman phoned police the night of Owen's death, saying that she thought the dead man lived in Clinton, Missouri. However, nothing ever came of it. Owen's body was taken to a funeral home, where it was displayed in the hope that someone could recognize him. Among the visitors was a man named Robert Lane, who identified him as the peculiar man that he had seen the night of January 3rd. Several bartenders testified seeing a man matching Owen's description, along with two women who were with him. Police had also discovered that the night before Roland Owen checked into the President Hotel, a man matching his description had briefly stayed at the Mulebach, giving his name as Eugene K. Scott of Los Angeles. Unsurprisingly, no trace of anyone by that name could be found either. Earlier... Owen, or Scott, or whatever you may call him, had stayed at yet another Kansas City hotel, the St. Regis, in the company of a man who was never identified. Could that be Don? Could that be Don? I'm not hungry, Don! (laughs) Don was hungry, that's for sure. Don was hungry for murder.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. I don't care if you're not hungry. I'm
0: hungry. Eat this knife!
1: Seventeen times! (laughs) And what are you going to tell them if they ask what happened?
0: I I found the bathtub! I found the bathtub! (laughs) They were having no more luck with tracing the Don that Owen had talked to during his stay at the President. Was he the strange voice who had told the maid not to bother bringing in the fresh towels? Was Don the man who had been at St. Regis with him? These are all excellent questions which were fated to never be answered. Nine days after Owen died, a wrestling promoter named Tony Bernardi identified the dead man as someone who had visited him several weeks earlier to sign up for a wrestling match. Bernardi said the man gave his name as Cecil Werner. This guy was clearly not a good wrestler. (laughs) If Owen was a good wrestler, he was clearly not a good one. Yeah, yeah. D did, did did you ever do you ever watch WWE? I did back when it
1: was WWF and WCW. Um, I, I used to like
0: Sting and Goldberg. Oh Sting was awesome. I feel like Owens like every wrestler has a niche. Right. Like they they have one thing about them. I feel like Owens' thing is just wrestling in the dark. Yes. Yes. Everything has to be in the dark. (laughs) Somebody pulls out a chair. We're going to have a lights-off match, brother. (laughs) Somebody pulls out a chair and he falls on top of it. (laughs) (laughs) His theme song is, I fell on the bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) While all of this established that Roland Owen was a very strange man, None of it was any help in discovering his real identity, even the name of his killer. The woman's hairpin that was found in the evidence in his room, plus the angry man and female voices that the lady in room 1048 had heard led to talk that the murder stemmed from a love triangle of sorts, but that theory remained mere speculation police were becoming resigned to writing off his death as one of those unsolved mysteries. And by the beginning of March, preparations were made to bury the John Doe in an unmarked grave. However, before Owen could be brought to the city's potter's field, the head of the funeral home in charge of the body received an anonymous phone call. The man asked that the burial be delayed until the money could be sent to cover the cost of a decent memorial the caller claimed that roland t owen was the dead man's real name and that owen had been engaged to the caller's sister the funeral director said that the mysterious benefactor told him that owen just got into a jam he added that the police are on the wrong track. Shortly afterwards, the cash arrived via special delivery mail, anonymously, and Owen was finally buried in Memorial Park Cemetery. No one attended the funeral other than a handful of detectives. More money was sent with equal mysteriousness to a local florist to pay for a bouquet of roses for the grave. It was accompanied by a card to be placed with the flowers. It read, Love Forever, Louise. The Owen case drifted into obscurity until late 1936, when a woman named Eleanor Ogletree learned of an account of the murder given in a magazine, American Weekly. She thought that the description given of Owen matched that of her missing brother, Artemis. The Ogletrees had not seen him since he left his home in Birmingham, Alabama, in April of 1934, to go and see the country. The last his mother, Ruby, had heard from him were three brief typewritten letters. The first of these notes arrived in the spring of 1935, well after Owen had died. Miss Ogletree later said that she was suspicious of these letters from the start, as her son, didn't know how to type. The last letter said that he was sailing for Europe. Several months after the last letter, she received a phone call from a man calling himself Jordan, who said that Artemis had saved his life in Egypt, and that her son had married a wealthy Cairo woman. When Mrs. Ogletree was shown a photo of Owen, she immediately recognized the dead man as her missing son. He was only 17 when he died. So, I just want to bring what up the, the fact heck? that... I know. <laughs> I just want to bring up the fact that somebody is writing letters to his uh, his sister, it seems. Right. And this Artemis is just living his best life, man. Yeah. While the real one is kind of dead. This is crazy. Like... I know, right? I feel like I I've been I wanting lost. to cover this one for so long <laughs> and I'm so glad that we're doing it in this format because it's yes. so weird. It's just like weird thing after weird thing after weird thing, like I know, the card and the flowers
1: was like I was like, "Okay, that's cool, but weird as well." Like is that like someone feeling remorse for killing someone or like what's happening here? And then and then it just gets
0: weirder. I know, it just keeps the mystery, it's like a mystery lasagna. There's so many layers to this thing, man. And we're about to find the sprinkled cheese on top, I think. Oh, boy. Okay. I love when it gets a little crusty. Oh, oh. But don't ever say that. <laughs> I don't know cheese. why that sounded weird, but I don't <laughs> like it. I'm
1: talking about the cheese on top of lasagna when you bake it. And All right, cooked. you freak. <laughs>
0: The dead man had finally been identified. Justice for his brutal death, however, remained hopelessly elusive. This is one of those unsolved mysteries that is nothing but a bunch of questions left. Why was Artemis Ogletree using false names? What was he doing in Kansas City? Who killed him and why? Who was Louise? Who was Jordan? Who sent the money to pay for Ogletree's funeral? And who really wrote the letters to Ruby Ogletree? It's almost certain that we will never know. The investigation into Ogletree's death was briefly reopened in 1937, after detectives noticed similarities between his murder and the slaying of a young man in New York. But this also went nowhere. So before we go into our suspects there is one last incident that happened in 2002 roughly 20 years ago that we should mention before we get into our suspects one day in 2003 someone from out of state phoned a library in kansas city to ask about this case this caller who did not give his name said that they had recently gone through the belongings of somebody who had recently died. Among these belongings was a box containing old newspaper clippings about the murder. This caller mentioned that this box also contained something, which had been mentioned in the newspaper reports. Horner's caller would not say what this something was. So this is just like, like, 2003... (sighs) Like this is just a weird. Like this is why. Yeah.
1: Why even say that eighty years after the there? case? Yeah. Why even say that? There's I've got something. I'm not gonna tell you what it is, but there's something in a box here.
0: It could implicate maybe like a relative of some sort. Right. That's maybe. do yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That that's the only thing I could think of. Right. Like, maybe this implicates like a relative of or something. But like even that. at that
1: point, like I just wouldn't bring it up. I would just ask the questions. About yeah. the Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I found these newspaper clippings. What's this about? Oh, by the way, I've got something from the newspaper clippings, but
0: not going to tell you. And this week on Shane Helps You Get Away With Murder.
1: (laughs) I'm not saying... Take notes,
0: ladies and gentlemen.
1: I'm not saying that I did it, but if I had done it, this is how I would have done it. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Kill them with an icicle. Yes. Throw the icicle in the river. And then bury them them near train tracks.
1: Make a note that says, I fell in the bathtub.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. All right. Let's go ahead and hop into our suspects. And this isn't really a suspect list. It's, or I guess technically it is. It's more of a story that I left out of the case purposefully. Did you say that? Just to. So you said that there was 2003 that happened, but did you say something was happening in 2010? Uh yes that so that's when it was reported that's when oh it reported. okay okay so ten years pass by and then he reports it oh uh, okay hey I had this weird interaction ten years ago
1: <laughs> oh by the way by the way
0: so let's go ahead and hop into this last little story that we'll leave you off with Charles Bl Charles Blotcher the graveyard shift elevator operator at the hotel also noticed unusual activity the night that Artemis Ogletree died. There was what he assumed was a particularly noisy party in room 1055. Sometime after midnight, he took a woman to the 10th floor. She was looking for room 1026. He had seen her around the president numerous times. She was, as he put it, a woman who frequents the hotel with different men in different rooms. <laughs> Man, real discreet there, buddy. Yes, yes.
1: I'm not saying she was, but she was.
0: I'm not saying she was a lady of the night, but that lady knew more <laughs> men than the phone book. But I never saw her during the day. <laughs> <laughs> A few minutes later, he was signaled to return to the 10th floor. The woman was concerned because the man who had arranged to meet her uh, was nowhere to be found. Being unable to help her, Blotcher went back downstairs. About half an hour later, the woman summoned him again to take her down to the lobby. About an hour later, she returned to the elevator with a man. Blotcher took them to the 9th floor around 4 a.m. The woman left the hotel, followed about 15 minutes later by the man. This couple was never identified, and it is unknown what, if anything, they had to do with Owen and room 1046. At about 11 p.m. that same night, a city worker named Robert Lane was driving on a downtown street when he saw a man running down the sidewalk. He was puzzled to see that On this winter night, the stranger was wearing only pants and an undershirt. The man waved Lane down, thinking he was a taxi driver. When he saw his mistake, he apologized and asked if Lane could take him someplace where he could get a cab. Lane agreed, commenting, You look as if you've been in it bad. The man nodded and growled. I'll kill that. Beep. Tomorrow. (laughs) Lane noticed his passenger had a wound on his arm. When they reached their destination, the man thanked Lane, then exited the car and hailed a cab. Lane drove off having no idea that he probably just played a minor role in one of the city's weirdest murder mysteries. That's
1: crazy.
0: This dude just picked up a straight-up yeah, murderer and yeah. drove him to the bus station basically. Yeah. Have fun getting away. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That is nuts. I just. And it's. Those are. Because like that. That instance there is such a minor instance. But like not. Not but what he did was minor. But I'm just saying like picking up a person. That is potentially a serial killer. Is like a very slim chance. But it does happen. And so like. The people who. Like that lady.
0: Honestly. Like that lady who. uh, Like that lady who picked up uh, the Zodiac killer.
1: Yes yes yeah and and so like i mean i i've given one person a ride from like like a 30 30 mile ride before and it was because he was a he's a local hobo in my hometown and he was like in a neighboring city with his bike and it was like okay well i'm headed home anyway so i give that but like i kind of knew that guy i talked to him a few times around town but i just there's not, I never pick up any hitchhikers because there's just that slim chance like I know it's a slim chance but I'm not going to risk it and exactly. You know, and it's just and then there's like the anti of that where you get people who are hitchhikers and then you get someone like Ted Bundy who's like trying not to kill anymore and gives a girl a ride to where she needs to be and then the girl gets to live the rest of her life realizing that she
0: barely escaped Ted Bundy's grip <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to head out. Ted Bunny's like, no, come back. <laughs> Gosh. Well, that is, that is our story. Uh, what, do, what do you think happened in room 1046, Shane?
1: I mean, the guy said he fell in the tub. <laughs> <laughs> you that's, heard it here first,
0: ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, Stop looking into this murder case. He guy, fell in the bathtub. I don't see what the big deal is. The guy came out and confessed he's a klutz. <laughs> no, something was
1: definitely weird going on there. I I feel like there had to be money involved or drugs or something, like And what's weird to me too is even if like he's doing shady dealings, like why would you show up with no clothes, mm. just like your toothbrush and your and your comb and stuff, like mm. and I mean this is, this is like nineteen thirty seven.
0: Yeah, you could get away with anything back yeah, in the 30s. Yeah, I mean, I like. come on, 1937. Where are your video
1: cameras at? Get with the picture.
0: Exactly. Come on, guys. What were you in, like, the middle of the Great Depression or something? <laughs> nah, that had ended years before that. <laughs> like, um, I personally think that it was probably some sort of love triangle thing. Yeah. Uh, there was that one lady in room 1048, I forgot to mention that that room 1048, that's a conjoined room
1: with 1046.
0: So this lady is hearing like basically what's happening right next door, basically like this loud fight between three people, two dudes and one woman. So possibly some form of love triangle. Maybe I think it is most likely that, especially with uh, one person saying that the 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 calls to a sister afterwards saying that oh he's in cairo egypt and then the one uh lady who was or possibly a lady sending uh money and flowers uh to to the 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 flower shop and also the the grave or uh, the, the 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 funeral home thank you brain right uh Louise, Louise was her name and then Jordan was the other one. So who knows, maybe Jordan is Don. Right. where's where's Don in all of this, man? That's what I, I want to know. I know. Yeah.
1: It's <laughs> it's weird.
0: Yeah, I thought it I mean, was worst weird in the case, beginning
1: and then it just kept getting weirder and weirder and I was like what I know.
0: Is happening right now. <laughs> like I said, mystery lasagna. Yes. Yes. No crust on top, please. No crust. I (gasps) like the
1: crust. The crust is so good.
0: (laughs) I'm going to start muting you now. (laughs) Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to another episode of Cold Case Chase, the riddle of room... The riddle of room 1046. Uh, We will... See you again next week. I'd like to thank Shane for coming on this week to do something a little different with the show. Uh, And I'd also like to thank each and every listener for listening. Make sure if you're on Spotify, uh, give the heart. Give a five-star rating. If you're on Apple Music, or not Apple Music, if you're on Apple Podcasts, give a five-star rating. And we will see you next time on Cold Case Chase.